Hello, and welcome to Frame by Frame, a song-by-song analysis about legendary progressive rock band King Crimson. Come and join us in our test of discipline. Welcome one and all to episode one of Frame by Frame, the podcast where we are taking the King Crimson dialogue track by track. Are we crazy? Yes, but we're doing it because we have the love for Bob and Bobby. I am, of course, your co-host, Ryan, and joining me as always is the meme master, Avery. Avery, how you doing? I'm doing great. <laughs> That's great. Ready to rant and rave about Bob and Bobby. Yes, this is a special one today. And the good thing about doing a King Crimson podcast song by song is that the, since the first album is considered by many to be the ultimate definitive statement of the band, it'll be easy to get it out of the way. Um, as much as I love In the Court, I'm more excited to talk about the later period stuff because I think there's a lot more interesting things to mention there. But that is not to downgrade the quality of In the Court of the Crimson King and the, al- and the tracks within the album itself. So real quickly, before we get into Schizoid Man, we'll just uh, briefly mention uh, the album itself, uh, released on October the 10th, 1969. It appeared in the top five of the UK charts and the top 30 of the US charts back in 1969. Um, I couldn't get accurate sales figures, but I imagine it's probably sold in the millions over the, over the years. Been reissued countless times, called an uncanny masterpiece by Pete Townsend, you know, the famous Hyde Park gig where everybody in the world was there. I, th- I think everybody. Um, funnily enough, Jamie Muir actually was at that show. So, oh, really? Yeah. So. Wow. Yeah, he knew about Crimson years <laughs> before he ever joined. It's fantastic. Yeah, like, I'm going to join this band, and then I'm going to go run away to a monastery in Scotland. <laughs> like, yes, this is this is my new life plan right here. But I'll never get rid of my Pringle mustache. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, just uh, before we get into Schizoid Man itself, um, we are going to get, we're just going to talk a little bit about the album. Avery, what is your opinion overall? about In the Court of the Crimson King. Oh my god, that album changed my life. Like, I cannot stress that enough. Like, just from the first listen, I I was just amazed. Like, it's like, this is from, like, 48 years ago when I listened to it, and it was just, like, one of the most incredible things, if not the most incredible thing I'd ever heard at the time. Like, I remember just talking about it nonstop for like a week straight, like, like I was trying to work on a novel at the time and like, I was like, this is exactly the kind of music the main character would listen to. Like, I was just McFreakin' losing it. (laughs) What is it about the album that uh, still holds up, even after probably dozens, if not hundreds of listens? It's, it's just a masterpiece, really, like, just... 21st century schizoid man like just this blaring almost like warning about the future and then it goes into like i talk to the wind epitaph moonchild and then in the court i'd say epitaph is probably my favorite song on that album yeah i would agree but i think just this captures a muse and was just kind of the right thing at the right time yeah 
And I could only imagine living in 69, like say listening to Abbey Road, um, Let It Bleed, um, like Moody Blues, Procol Harum, The Nice, all those concurrent bands that were like bridging on like psychedelic and art rock and all that stuff. And then hearing King Crimson sounded like a band from like just years ahead in the future who just knew exactly yeah. what to do. And it was just, it was lightning in the bottle. And unfortunately, I feel that lightning in the bottle haunted uh, Fripp till I would say about 73, when he finally got to just reinvent the wheel for the first time. One of the things I think that makes the album so special is that it's Fripp isn't at the helm on this one, really. It feels yeah. very much like a band project. Or if anybody yeah. is the leader, it's Ian McDonald. Absolutely, yeah. Like, didn't he pretty much compose the whole thing? Uh, he composed... Uh, he has songwriting credits on every track. Um, yeah. In fact, this is the only Crimson album to have no Fripp contributions on I Talk to the Wind and Core of the Crimson King. So those are two tracks that Fripp had no writing involvement in, which is almost crazy to think. Um, and it kind of leads into Schizoid Man because you hear Schizoid Man and you think, oh yeah, that's a Fripp thing. But I don't know if you know this or our listeners know this, but that riff that opening riff was written by Greg. Yeah. I think I read like he showed it to Fripp one day. Like he was just like, oh yeah, I've been working on this thing. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't know if he showed it to Fripp or like the whole band, but they were like, this is great. Like Peter Sinfield's lyrics, like they just, I guess they just basically set that to music. <laughs> Essentially. But, uh, and all, but also Greg also wrote the, um, that C minor, like when he does the vocals like the riff that he's singing over. Like he also wrote that. And then I'm pretty sure Ian McDonald did the, um, the ascending like, dun, 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 like the one, two, three that goes into mirrors. I should point out that all the tunes within, in the court have like, or except for I Talk to the Wind, all have like including other sections. Yeah. And I think why they did that was album royalties were based on how many tracks you had, not the length of the album. So adding all those sections, it gave them essentially 12 songs, which was about the average back then. And I would argue still the average now, about yeah. 10 to 12 songs. Um, but we'll, we'll now officially get into um, 21st Century Schizoid Man. It was recorded, um, according to my research, they recorded it on the 1st, the 20th, and the 21st of August in 69. They recently, for the, I think the King Crimson 50 for 50, have the backing track they did at Morgan Studios. Because originally they were gonna record the album in Morgan Studios in London with the, I think it was the Moody Blues producer at the time. Oh, really? Because, yeah, because, well, Ian McDonald is a huge Moody Blues fan. And if you ever have listened to like Days of Future Past, or any of, or Search of the Lost Chord, or any of those early Moody Blues records that are like heavy Mellotron and have that big symphonic thing, you can tell Ian carried that over in the influence, which is actually how the Mellotron got into King Crimson, because Ian McDonald just brought it in and is like, we should use this. And when he put it on Epitaph, they were like, yeah, just keep that, just, you know. It, yeah, it, God, the first time I heard a Mellotron, I think, was on that album, and I was just like, this sounds incredible. Yeah. It, like a violin from another universe, almost. Yeah, like, it's like it's it was recorded from, like, hundreds of years ago or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it just has this sort of, like, ethereal sound to it, really. Mm -hmm. 
And I think the Meltron does have a lo-fi sound to it, but not in like an intentional way. Because if you're just going to yeah. use, if you're going to have tapes of, in, of instruments playing single notes and then constantly play them over and over again, the tape's just going to run out naturally. And I think just that degraded quality is what gives it character, I think. Absolutely, yeah. But, but there is no Mellotron on Schizoid Man. That would be very interesting. If they just threw yeah. that in somewhere. Um, <laughs> if I could describe this track in one word, it would probably be heavy. Oh, yeah. Um, even arguably by today's standards, it's still incredibly heavy. Um, yeah. Whenever bands these days try to cover it, and I think we'll talk about cover versions of this. Um, I think some Crimson songs have been covered more than others, and I kind of want to talk about them just because I think when people cover King Crimson, it's to me, it's like covering the Beatles. It's such a gargantuan task to do, and you're held up to such a very high standard that you're not always going to succeed in that. But I think some covers of Schizoid Man work, but we'll get to that. Let's see. Uh, the whole band is credited on this song. You know, as I mentioned, like Greg and Ian kind of contributed a lot of the work or the um, the riffs and all the kind of the main passages. And of course, Fripp brought his guitar solo, which I think the solos will be interesting to talk about. And Peterson Field, of course, wrote the lyrics. Yeah, and- Peterson Field is probably my favorite lyricist ever. Mm-hmm. And it- like considering what he did with king crimson but like his later stuff like i know he he wrote some stuff for love beach i think (laughs) imagine going from writing epitaph to (laughs) call up room service order peaches and cream (laughs) (laughs) is that an actual line on love beach yeah (laughs) oh i haven't listened to that album in a long time (laughs) peterson feels a lyricist to me uh, this album is his peak as a lyricist. Oh, I don't think yeah. he ever... I think the lyrics on the next three range from bad to good. And the, uh, the lyrics on Poseidon are pretty fantastic, I think. But Epitaph, like, he never got to, like, that point again. Like, yeah. That might be his lyrical magnum opus. But anyways, the, the lyrics of Schizoid Man, since we're talking about lyrics... The Schizoid Man lyrics, it's just three short stanzas. It's very easy to dissect them as like just commentary on the Vietnam War. You know, there's, yeah. no, there's no fluffy psychedelic um, musings about it. It's just very honest. You know, the whole like innocence raped with napalm fire. You know, Yeah, like that's in a really intense line. Yeah. Um, the, the one that always gets me is nothing he's got he really needs. Yeah. Um, which I feel is maybe a slight knock on like capitalism or like seeing the whole capitalist society starting to grow. You know, yeah, like I, I kind of see it as like a warning about the future, like mm-hmm. 21st century, like this is what's going to happen if, if the world doesn't get its shit together. Mm-hmm. It's like we are in the 21st century. Yeah, um, and Peterson Field was right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, the whole idea of like schizophrenia and the whole fantasies and delusions and things that come with schizophrenia it almost feels like a lot of the people who strive for this you know capitalist greatness end up becoming schizophrenic in the process but i always like the cat's foot iron claw because for some reason it always makes me think of cat food (laughs) which is a completely different song but yeah um i mentioned earlier about how just about every song has different sections 
And while it's hard to discern the sections, uh, Schizoid Man is pretty easy, essentially. The middle instrumental section is just mirrors, essentially. So sometimes people will cover the song but not do the instrumental bit, but it's it's just a fantastic song. The The one member we haven't mentioned on this track yet is Michael Giles. Oh, yeah. Michael Giles is amazing. Oh, like, if anybody else had done the drums for that, it would have been a completely different song. Yeah. And I think that's why he got a writing credit. And it's interesting yeah. to hear the live versions and that for the most part, he nails it just as he does in the studio version. When you listen to all the other drummers, King Crimson drummers do it live, they all have their own completely different interpretation of it. And I think that's probably because they didn't want to copy Giles. Like, yeah. I, like I think Bruford probably could have done it like that if he wanted to, but you know, Bill, he's not going to play by anybody's <laughs> rules, but his own. Yeah. And another thing about the song that I've noticed, like, it's pronounced 21st century instead of century, and it's a war protest song, so that's kind of a pun there. Oh, really? Oh, he says it yeah. like century, like, um, yeah. like the military century yeah. thing? Yeah. Huh. I never heard it that way. Could that have yeah, been- Yeah, I noticed that a couple months ago. I was like, wow, clever Pete. <laughs> I'll say, do you think, like, Sinfield told Greg to do that, or do you think Greg- he just kind of sang it like that, and it just sort of come out that way. I don't know. I, I'd like to think Senfield told him to do that. Like, it, it's a perfect play on words there. It is. It is. So, of course, there's the, the main section with the vocals and everything, but then we get into the middle section known as mirrors, the, the instrumental section. Now, I don't know about you, but the instrumental section sat with me, or at least made the bigger impact on me, than the vocal sections did because the vocal sections are just like big and bombastic and then it just completely turns into this kind of jazz rocky thing where the band just kind of go off yeah um well, what is your impression about mirrors i i think it's incredible like i especially love that part where it's like dun -dun 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 -dun, and then they all stop and then they start again um but what always struck with me is uh fripp's guitar solo Oh, yeah. And it's interesting that I don't think he's ever played the solo the same way twice. While I've listened to quite a few versions of Schizoid Man live, weirdly, I find his solo on the studio version to be close to definitive. But that yeah. could just be because it's the recorded version. I don't know. While I find Fripp solos to be kind of on this track to be iffy, I've always found when I've listened to the 69 band do this live, Ian McDonald's sax solos never reached the quality they do on the studio version. Yeah. Because I think I read that when he was doing the sax solo, he was trying everything he could to make himself uncomfortable so he could just really belt it out and get like these really great sounds out of it. And it's a f fabulous sax solo. In fact, for a long oh, time, yeah. I didn't know it was a sax solo. I thought it was just an extension of the guitar solo. A, a lovely sax solo. Uh, Giles's drums are fantastic, as I mentioned. It, it, the production on this whole album, but particularly this song, I think sticks out because yeah. it's it, like it sounds flat almost, or it just has this quality about it that is so the way whenever like Giles does like tom rolls, you know, it has that '70s like dead cardboard box sound to it. Um, yeah. And I think I read somewhere that he was not proud of the song, this album production wise, which I could totally understand. But I think yeah. the, the way it just sounds is so unique and it that 
you always know what it is when you hear it. Yeah. As, as you mentioned earlier, the, the snare stop start bit right after the solo, I think it was in the BBC Prague documentary where Bruford talked about seeing them live. And he mentioned that like, you know, they would do these incredibly like syncopated stuff, like really loud and fast, but then they would just get really quiet. And he said that was what impressed him was that bit. And he said from that day on, he's like, I just want to leave Yes and join Crimson. I just want to leave. <laughs> Understandable. Yeah. But for, yeah, for one now... One of my most legendary memes is about that. July 19th, 1972. Bay, uh, come over. Bay, I'm busy. <laughs> Bay, King Crimson needs a new drummer. <laughs> and then it's oh, just a gif of Bruford running. Oh, yeah. Wasn't that from like a Yes video? Yeah. Is, is it from yeah, like... I think it was the music video for... Forget which song but it was on time and a word. Okay. No opportunity? Might have been. Okay. Because I know they did a few videos for that album. Yeah. But yeah, listening to it, you can hear that's the, why that song would hook Bruford because it's so jazzy. Yeah. And the album doesn't get nearly as jazzy after this. Yeah. But I think that's why this song is still beloved to this day because it's aged surprisingly well. And it was also ahead of its time. Yeah. Because, I mean, like, he, he was kind of right about, like, the 21st century and just the world being what it is. Like. Mm-hmm. And also musically. Yeah. A guitar, a bass, saxophone, and drums just kind of going for it. It's a very intense jazz way. You could almost argue it's proto-fusion, even though there were definitely other musicians at the time heading towards fusion who had more of a jazz background than Crimson. I'll argue, when we get to Lark's Tongues, I'll argue probably how I think Mahavishnu had a huge influence on Crimson, especially for oh, Lark's. Yeah. And I think McLaughlin was somebody that Fripp admired to the point where trying to do those intricate guitar things and being jazzy and all that, and eventually developed his own style. Because I think this era for Fripp as a player is very him figuring himself out. Yeah. Like he's far like from he kind of. Yeah, like, he kind of takes the center stage later on, like, with the Fwetan era. That's when he's, like, definitely found his sound, and he's just bopping. He's <laughs> much more confident in his playing. Like, I don't yeah. think he could have written Fracture in 69. I don't think he had it in Oh, God, of course not. But um, <laughs> but the, the legacy of the song, as we mentioned, is massive. The 69 band, the Islands band, the Wetton band, the Double Trio, and the most current lineup... Um, we'll call it Jacko, the Jacko era, I guess, have all done versions of it. Um, there are many, many different live versions of Schizoid Man, all slightly different, but slightly the same. Um, Avery, what would you say, which era do you think did it best? I really like the Wetton era versions and just like how like the saxophone parts are kind of replaced by the violin. Is there? Like, I think that's really cool. Is there a particular version that sticks out to you? The Night Watch version is really good. I, I listened to it this morning. I, I thought it was interesting. Like, it's 10 minutes long. Like, they kind of do, like, improv in there. I think that's really cool. Yeah, it, it interested me how the Wetton version very much makes it its own. Like, I think they do the yeah. most unique take on it because they take very many liberties. They were just taking liberties with everything every night, even the stuff that was just theirs. Yeah. Like, like even Blarkstong's part two was very different. Yeah, like, I have tons of Wet and Era shows in my bootleg collection, and, like, every single one sounds different. Like, they never do, like, the exact same thing every night. What is your take on the 69 band doing it live? 
I think it's great. Mm -hmm. do you, yeah, do you like I, I haven't listened to many '69 versions. Like I just have Epitaph, but it's it's really good. And I like how like there's no distortion on the vocal, so you can hear more clearly what Greg is singing. Mm -hmm. Get that I pure. Think the lyrics of that song are really important. Yeah, it's weird. The '69 band. I've listened to quite a few. I've listened to the Epitaph versions. I've listened to the Hyde Park version. Um, like Fillmore East, Fillmore West, and they're all great. Even the BB Sessions one, which I think the BB Sessions one could have been definitive if they saved the recording. The version that's on Epitaph, it's it's like a bootleg version, like somebody recorded it off the radio. Because usually the BBC Sessions, they save all the tapes, but for some reason they lost the King Crimson ones. But I think it's because they did those, I think, in May, like even before Hyde Park and so they're probably just like, eh, whatever. And then probably after Hyde Park, they're like, oh shit, where is it? Where is it? We need to save it. <laughs> yeah, I mentioned the Hyde Park version. Have you listened to the Hyde Park version? Uh, I have, but it's been a long time. Because I listened to it last night. It, it, it's sort of like, it's almost considered the iconic version. I mean, could you imagine just being there, like in 69, God, yeah. just sitting there, not knowing who these guys are, like, and then this, this <laughs> weird looking man comes on and just blasts you with Schizoid Man. <laughs> Apparently the sax yeah. solo got a standing ovation. Oh wow! Um, surprisingly, for an audience bootleg, it's really good quality. But that's probably just because yeah. all the bootleggers were out that day because it was such a big show. <laughs> Wasn't it like five hundred thousand people there or something? Something like that. Some people say it was a million. I don't think it was that many. Yeah. Um, who knows? Fripp himself says he hovers around the eight hundred thousand mark. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Who knows for certain? But the '69 band, they. It's weird that they did the studio version, but I don't think they have the definitive live version. If I was to argue the definitive live version, and I know probably some people listening to this might get a little angry when I say this, but I think the version on Earthbound is the best version. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Recorded at the Armory, Wilmington, Delaware. There is just something about that version that just blows me away every time. Like when I want to listen to Schizoid Man, I put on that version. And I know a lot of people complain about Earthbound, that it doesn't sound really good, and it, it like it made the Islands band look bad. While the rest of the album is iffy at best, I think that version of Schizoid Man always sticks out to me. Um, I'll have to listen to it again. I just love, it's not as technical as 69, and I think the cassette, lo-fi cassette stuff, I think actually enhances it in a weird way. Like just the crazy distortion that that track has makes it kind of emphasize the sort of anti-war schizophrenia thing that just always resonated with me. And to me, that's why I think it's definitive. I mean, I love the Islands band. Um, I mentioned in episode zero, Islands is my favorite King Crimson album. And the Islands lineup is probably my favorite era of King Crimson. Like I think their versions of the four albums, or at least the songs from the four albums that they did live were the definitive versions of almost all of them. And I don't think any band post has really come close. Schizoid Man may be lesser, but I think stuff like Sailor's Tale and Circus and all that, they own yeah, that shit. It's I, I pictures absolutely of a city love their version of Circus. And Pictures of City. Yeah. Like they, yeah. ooh. I know, it's it a great song. Um, yeah. Now, have you heard li the live version done by the Thrack lineup or the Double Trio? I don't think I have. Or okay. if I have, it's been a long time. Okay, because the version I listened to was on, I think it's Vroom Vroom, the double CD they did 
as it wasn't the collector's club but it was like the mainstream release for thrak and the second disc was i think mexico city in 96 and the only reason they brought back schizoid man in the 90s because they didn't do it in the 80s at all yeah which, which really saddens me i wish they had because yeah that would have been incredible mm -hmm. especially if you think about it, the 80s lineup only did two old songs i think it was just blark's tongues two and red yeah and they killed both versions are fan Mwah. So <laughs> it would have been nice to have heard them do schizoid but yeah but i think that could be part of in the the, the now infamous king crimson barbershop Oh, God. The greatest <laughs> song they ever did. <laughs> at, at the very end, we might, we might throw it in there as like a bonus episode. <laughs> I think it's the penultimate line where they're like, we don't do 21st century schizoid, man. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I imagine during the 80s, everybody was pestering them to play it. And they're just, yeah. they're just like, fuck you. I want to do frame by frame. Matai Kudasai all fucking night. Um, <laughs> During the 90s, they kept getting pestered to do it. And I think they were finally just like, okay, let's just do it. The Thrak version is probably my least favorite. It's not bad, though I'm not too keen on Thrak anyway. But their version of Schizoid Man, it's, it's, it's very 90s. Mm. Like, it's a little faster. Feels like they're just trying to get it out of the way. Like, let's just do this, and then we can do Sex, Sleep, Eat, Dream. Or Sex, <laughs> sex Sleep, Eat, Drink, Dream. That's right. Um, yeah, it always it just comes off a little bit like rushed, and I think that's why it doesn't work. Although I will say, I didn't realize I wanted to hear Adrian Ballou solo on Schizoid Man until I actually heard it. His solo, I need to hear that. <laughs> his solo is brilliant. Like the weird stuff that he does on solos, he does that on Schizoid Man, and it fits nice perfectly. That that's the only thing about it that warrants I think it's staying power. I, I think the 90s band did some good stuff live, but Schizoid Man, I wouldn't put as one of them. But yeah. lastly, uh, the Jacko lineup. What, what is your... You've seen it. <laughs> yeah. What, what, what was your take on it? Uh, it's not as good as, like, the past versions, like the Wedding Era and, like, the original. It's interesting. Like, like actually, before we recorded this, I was, I was watching it with my boyfriend, and um, it was something. <laughs> Just the three drummers... One of them just like had a like solo sort of. It got like really quiet, and then like then all the instruments came back. It was it was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. But yeah, uh, the version we watched is from 2015. Um, the Jacko version, it's okay. I think it's okay. Yeah. It's not my favorite. I am kind of critical yeah. of of the new lineup, but I think I'll get more into that as we keep going. I don't mind having the whole drum solo thing. I don't know. I feel like it would fit in another song. Like if yeah they did it for like talking drum or some other like instrumental track where there's like a space where you could do a drum solo. Like, I think it would be really yeah. cool. Just, I think adding it Schizoid Man, to me, it always just felt like they th just forced it in. Just yeah, my like, look at us, we have three drummers. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the whole lineup is, that's the whole modern thing is we have three drummers, isn't that great? You, <laughs> you can't hear all the bum notes Jacko's playing. Oh shit, oh shit, oh God. <laughs> Oh God, somebody's mad now. Somebody's mad. <laughs> Too bad. So your favorite Schizoid Man Live is the Wetton era? I'd say so, yeah. Okay. And I would say my favorite is the Islands era. But I think all of them do it in a very unique, interesting way. Yeah, like every lineup has their own take on it. And that's what makes listening to them interesting. Because it's like, ooh, how are they going to do this? Which I think is also part of why I think so many people have covered Schizoid Man. 
because in a weird way it is kind of a blank slate like yeah um, yeah like that's what they did like 10 minute 11 minute versions oh and that reminds me i just speaking of the islands band doing schizoid man on the ladies of the road live release there is some i think it's the second disc is they called schizoid men and essentially it's just like an hour long version of schizoid man like they just they just edit in a bunch of solos and sections together to just have it just keep going wow and i think the version on spotify isn't the full version but it is painful like (laughs) it it's it's not that the playing is bad it's that the audio quality keeps shifting oh man ridiculous because the islands lineup it varies from like really high quality recordings to just like terrible bootlegs and you get them all you know (laughs) and since there's no context for how these sections come in organically it just feels like endless soloing and it just like it hurt my ears after a while (laughs) Like I can, like, yeah. I can, like I can only hear Mel Collins solo on that for so long before I'm just sick of it. And I love Mel yeah. Collins, but you know, there's just a one particular way you solo on Schizoid Man. You just can't do it. So, mm. but a lot of people are critical of that anyway. So, but anyways, cover versions. Um, have you, how many covers of Schizoid Man have you heard? Um, I think two. There was one like, I forget what it was called, but it it was like almost like Caribbean sounding kind of Caribbean sounding. I I don't even know. Is that Love Beach Schizoid Man? It was weird. Yeah, like I heard it once, and then it's just like I'm just remembering it now, like very very vaguely. (laughs) It was just fucking weird. Yeah, it wasn't bad, but Mm -hmm. strange. That does sound strange. Yeah. What's and the other version? The other version I I've listened to was the one that you showed me, the Crimson Jazz Trio. Oh yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Prob- that was, that was a really great reinterpretation because like it's just so different. Mm-hmm. Like here's this like blaring proto metal, and then you just get this this nice little like jazzy piano too. Yeah, I love that. And and for those of you who don't know, Crimson Jazz Trio was a jazz trio. Uh, formed by Ian Wallace, where he just reinterpreted a bunch of King Crimson songs as like Bill Evans' jazz trio tunes. So just piano, bass, and drums. There's a lot of really good ones, but the Schizoid Man one always stuck out to me because it's surprisingly smooth. Yeah. And and Ian's drumming is so good on that. You listen to the Islands versions, and he's great, but he's not this good. And speaking of cover versions done by members of the band, there's also the 21st Century Schizoid Band. Oh, with, yeah. Yeah, the with Ian, Michael, Peter Giles, Mel Collins, and Jacko. I believe that was the original lineup. And then Giles got replaced by Ian Wallace. And their version's okay. It just, it sounds like a glorified tribute band version. Because that's essentially what the Schizoid Band was. Yeah. Um. <laughs> And some people like it, and I get and I get why. It's cool being able to watch Michael Giles play it. Oh, yeah. Because there's the Live in Japan DVD, which is a really good DVD. And you get to see these members who played these songs, like, when they were new. But there's some other interesting cover versions. Um, a lot of people know the version by April Wine. Um, I don't really know their material, but I did listen to their version of Schizoid Man, and it is 
it's a stale early 80s hard rock version uh, it, it's kind of what you would imagine you know like the playing is good it's very faithful but it is a product of like 1982 it's good some people like it but it's not one of my favorites strange strangely enough um emerson like and palmer did a version of it oh they did yeah in the early 90s it's on the manacore box set oh god 90s elp it <laughs> it starts good like the vocal section is good but when that but when keith starts soloing oh god it <laughs> like like when people talk like when people say elp or cheesy I kind of tend to fight that a little bit, but that solo is cheesy as hell. Like it just <laughs> goes completely in a different, I admire them for making it their own, but it's not a good new direction. If that makes yeah. sense. Like it had potential, but it kind of got ruined. And even listening to like Carl Palmer's legacy do it, it just, it just doesn't sound right. It's like, they don't have the like kind of proper love for the song to do it properly. Yeah. Which I would at least give April Wine credit for being able to actually do it in like a loving fashion, despite me not being huge on it. A version a lot of people know is the one done by Ozzy Osbourne. He did a cover. I didn't know that Ozzy Osbourne did a version. Yeah, yeah. He's um, he's a fan of Krim, obviously. And in, I think it was 2005, he put out a covers record. There's quite a few different covers on there. Some good, some not so good, but a schizoid man is very, if you've ever listened to Ozzy's solo career, it's very what you expect, like, Ozzy's solo to be. Like, it sounds like the guy who did Crazy Train trying to do King Crimson. It just, <sighs> like, it's weird. The vocals almost sound sarcastic. Like, his delivery is strange. And he doesn't do mirrors at all. It's just the vocal stuff. Fine. But, that again, it's not a version I particularly enjoy. However, a version I completely fell in love with and didn't realize it existed until doing the research for this episode was the Flower Traveling Band. Do you know who the Flower Traveling Band are? No, I've never heard of them. Okay, so they are a, a Japanese band from the early 70s who were kind of, they were like if Led Zeppelin was Japanese and leaned more towards Prague. Oh, wow. Uh, they're not bad. They're pretty good. And... Their version of Schizoid Man is really good. Like, like anybody listening, if you haven't heard that version after this, go find it. It is, <laughs> it's like 15 minutes long. It's essentially, they just do like how Crimson did it live, but just did it in the studio. Wow. Like long extended solos, but they're completely unique. They just, they knew how to do it right. And it's, like, once I heard that, I'm like, I don't need any other fucking cover versions. This is it. Like, <laughs> this and, like, some live versions, and we're good, man. Um, there's also, let's see, um, and I even listened to some classical versions, and they're not good. <laughs> I, I, yeah, yeah, I don't think that's a song that really lends itself to classical music. Mm -hmm. Like, especially a version I heard that was the Royal Philharmonic, and they actually had a drummer, and it just, it, like, immediately turned me off. Because it just, it didn't, it, yeah. it's not like, say, when I've seen some orchestras, like when they do Aaron Copeland's Fanfare for the Common Man, and they blend Copeland's version with ELP's version, it's really good. This isn't that. Like, it's, <laughs> like, of all the Crimson songs to do orchestrally, this isn't the one. Not even Yeah. Close. 
and there are some other cover versions I've heard from like Voivod and people like that. But again, nothing really sticks out to me except for the Crimson Jazz Trio and the Flower Traveling Band versions. So I recommend those. Outside You'll have to of send that. me the links to those. That's yeah. Oh, yeah. don't worry. I'll get you. I'll get you. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's, I think, essentially our thoughts on Schizoid Man. Unless you have anything else you'd like to add. Yeah. I mean, there's Power by Kanye West that has the sample. Oh, right. I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah. That actually made, yeah. me, that made me a fan of Kanye, actually. Cause... Yeah. Like, I think it's, it's really cool. Like, like, that song would get people into Prague, and then, like, it was also getting Prague fans into rap. Because that's how I found out about Kanye. I think I knew of Kanye beforehand anyway, yeah. but when I heard somebody scam- sampled Schizoid Man, me being, you know, Prague snob me back in the day, was all like, <laughs> oh, mur, 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 like, you know, just, <laughs> who would do, dare do this? Or whatever. <laughs> and then I actually listened to the track, and I was so surprised. Yeah. Because Kanye got it. You know, yeah. say, say what you will about Kanye, but I think musically, particularly on the Dark Twist Fantasy album, it almost reminds me of In the Court. And that both albums were kind of just the right thing at the right time that nobody was really expecting from, from either artist. It was lightning in a bottle. And both artists never really were able to recapture the same thing that they were able to get on those records. And Kanye taking the line 21st Century Schizoid Man and lumping it into his song Power about how power corrupts absolutely, which just instantly connects with how, yeah, with the identity of the original. So that is an example of a sample done correctly. So, so all you like Kanye, I remember when my, yeah, my sister showed me the song, I was like, oh my god, <laughs> like. This is great. Like, I'm, I'm not a big fan of rap, but I like mm-hmm. that song. Yeah, so all you haters out there, go, go check it out and then let, let us know that it actually <laughs> isn't too bad. One more thing before we end this, I guess, is Schizoid Man was actually released as a single or as kind of a B-side to a single when the band was defunct. And I think Island and EG were still trying to get money off of them. They decided to, well, that's when they did the Young Person's Guide compilation. And then I think to coincide with that, they did Epitaph as an A-side and Schizoid Man as a B-side, which is such an interesting choice for a single. Yeah. And they didn't edit like, either one. Like, they're still the full-length versions. Oh, yeah, imagine just driving around listening to the radio and the fucking Epitaph comes on. <laughs> so I guess closing thoughts. Um, it is a genuine King Crimson classic. I would say it's probably in their top 10, maybe top five songs of all time. While they have done better, I don't think they've done anything more iconic. Yeah, like this song defines progressive rock. It kind of established the whole genre, mm-hmm. like the album as a whole, really. It's interesting how like Prague was still kind of figuring itself out in 69. But then Crimson just kind of come in and they're like, this is how you do it. And everybody essentially <laughs> just kind of copied them. But uh, where, where would you rank this if you had to? Like top 10, top five, where would you put it? Hmm. Yeah, I would definitely go in the top 10. If you knew somebody who was just getting in to Prague, would you recommend them this song? Oh, yeah. Like, you can't be a fan of Prague without having heard 21st Century Schizoid Man. Like, and I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. And, it, and the final thing before we go is that the song almost defines 
the end of the 60s and the beginning of the 70s. Because you yeah. have the 60s, the late 60s, this very hopeful, airy-fairy kind of thing, which is on the album. But then it goes into the 70s, this very dark, desperate time. And it sort of just is the symbolism of that. Yeah. Um, yes. I heard somebody once describe this song as a knife into the kidneys of flower power. And <laughs> that that's is a great way of putting it. And I would agree. And I guess that's going to do it for us today. Um, we hope you all enjoyed listening. Um, oh, tune in next week where we're going to talk about I Talk to the Wind, which is going to be a fun one. Um, if you have any questions, comments, or inquiries, we do have an email set up. Um, it is framebyframepod at gmail.com. So if you want to just tell us anything through the email, just send it. And if it's interesting enough, we'll read it on the show. If not, I will throw it in the trash. Um, <laughs> so it better be interesting. Um, just kidding, though. Um, thank you, everybody, for watching this. Uh, make sure to to follow, rate it, review it, all the good stuff. Um, just help boost us so we can keep doing this, knowing there are people out there listening and enjoying. So thank you all for listening. Yeah, thanks everyone. And we'll see you next time.